Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Luke. Good to be with you. Um, welcome to all of you. Maybe you've been in and around. You're coming back from the beach or whatever you're doing. You're wondering, was that Ozzy Osbourne? Just playing that in church? No, that was our own Bill Fritz. Singing about Crazy Eights. That's the series that we're in. If you've been out, that's, that's what we're doing. It's getting crazy around here this summer. Maybe your summer has been crazy. I don't know if that's a good word to describe, but it's been crazy busy or it's gone crazy fast. My kids were in crazy camp right here at Mountain. 300 other crazy kids a week ago. Had a blast. The craziness uh, when we gather here on the weekends is really all around uh, some teaching of Jesus. Sometimes when Jesus teaches, it sounds a little bit crazy. And we've been paying attention to one particular part. It's at the beginning of what has come to be known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's there up on a hillside or a mountainside, a bunch of people gathered, listening in. And he begins this long section of teaching by speaking these blessings, right? And he's talking to people who would have understood blessings in the same way that we do, that the blessed are the the happy and healthy and wealthy and comfy people, the powerful people, that's who's blessed. But Jesus doesn't teach according to that common understanding. Instead, he says things like you're blessed when you're poor or when you're sad or when you're meek. And then he gives his rationale for for why that is, which of course sounds crazy. As Ethan said last week, I mean, somebody's crazy here. It's either Jesus and his wacky ideas about who's blessed or it's all the rest of us who bought into the typical notions of what it means to be blessed. So we're trying to figure that out. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is, is where the action is. If you've got a Bible, you may want to turn there. Matthew chapter 5. Or get your phone out. Uh, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. And you find there these eight uh, seemingly crazy blessings, which are often called the Beatitudes. And we're just taking them one by one this summer. We're right in the middle of the list today. Jesus has already said, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says next in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Which I'll admit, that one doesn't strike me in quite the same way as the other ones in terms of its craziness. I think because it's a little more straightforward, right? I'm a little more ready to say, okay, Jesus, I understand what you mean here. That makes sense. It's kind of a tit-for-tat thing. The merciful are shown mercy. That's logical and sensible to me. It's not nearly as far-fetched as something like uh, the meek inheriting the earth. So, So where's the crazy well, have you ever played that game, Mercy? You play that as a kid, kids, you play that. That's where you clasp hands with somebody, uh, interlock your fingers, and the goal of the game is to bend the other person's hands back until they cry for mercy. Right? So it's, a, it's just a strength game. You're just trying to force someone into submission. Now, now, it is true in a way that the person who wins that game is merciful because they stop their force when the other person calls for mercy. But that's not who Jesus has in mind when he says, blessed are the merciful. Okay? See, the blessing in that case is winning, right? Uh, the, the blessing is, is proving yourself to be a person who doesn't need mercy. The person who needs mercy is humiliated. No, the goal is to maintain a position whereby you don't need to be a recipient of mercy. I think that that's what we bless, generally speaking. Blessed are the ones who show that they don't need mercy, who prove themselves right, who show themselves worthy, who are not to blame. That's, that's the blessing that I'm going after when I'm in an argument with my wife. Right? I'm trying to be right. I'm trying to demonstrate how I'm not at fault. I'm trying to avoid the need for mercy. 
when I criticize someone for doing something, oh, that I would never do. I can't believe how somebody would do something like that. Whether it's someone on the news or someone in a, in a different social circle from me, I, I'm consoling myself with the belief that I'm not in the category of those people, reaching for the blessing that belongs to the ones who don't screw up. At least not like that. And when you value the ones who don't screw up, it's hard to value mercy. It's hard, even crazy, to bless the merciful. The the challenge when you hear Jesus say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's not so much in understanding the concept as you read it off the page, but in applying what Jesus is implying. Mercy. Giving undeserved love. Showing a generous or forgiving spirit to someone. Show mercy. Well, how much? I mean, how often? In what circumstances? What about when a spouse cheats? When a child lies? When a politician lies? When a racist murders innocent people? How far should mercy stretch when an addict relapses? When money is not paid back? In all of those cases, wrong has been done. And people have suffered. And joy and innocence and peace, life itself has been stolen away. Mercy does not make sense. In fact, what makes sense is tit for tat, vengeance, payback. That's where the blessing lies. It's hard to show mercy when revenge is sweet. When you're so concerned with, so proud of being in the right, It's hard to show mercy to those who do wrong. Jesus knows that. In fact, He knows it too well. seen it too much. Uh, Particularly among the people who were supposed to represent God. Religious leaders who had this lofty view of themselves that made it appear that nobody else could measure up. You know, to their holiness, their rightness, their good behavior. Jesus had a lot of interactions with these folks. We get to read about that a lot in the Bible. It gives us a little window into that culture. And he, he told them a story one day that began like this. Two men went to the temple to pray. A Pharisee, religious leader, and a tax collector, who, who would have been a, a social pariah, okay, symbol of all things evil. Now the Pharisee prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people who do all of those bad things, those thieves and renegades and adulterers. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I do so much good. The tax collector just stood off at a distance, head down, beating his chest. The only prayer he could muster up was to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Another time, Jesus was having dinner with a bunch of these people at a Pharisee's house. You know, the kind of folks who, they got their lives all together, right? And while he was sitting down at the table with all these guys, a sinful woman, that's all we know about her, don't know her name, just that her whole identity can be summed up in the moniker, sinful woman. So she sneaks into the party, she's got this jar of perfume in her hand, she throws herself at Jesus' feet, she's weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping them off with her hair, kissing his feet, pouring perfume on them. You can imagine the look on everyone's faces as their dinner party is interrupted. I mean, who does this woman think she is? The host of the party is watching Jesus uh, tolerate all of this, and he's thinking to himself, I mean, if Jesus was really some kind of holy man, surely he would know who's touching him right now. This woman is trash. Doesn't Jesus know we don't welcome her kind here? 
when you're so proud of being in the right, it's hard to value mercy shown to those who do wrong. The religious establishment of the time was being led by people who highly valued their ability to prove themselves righteous. So you can see why mercy had become uh, an underinflated value during that time. It was like one of Tom Brady's footballs. Right? It was like uh, your kid's birthday balloons, except a week after the party. Okay? They're all shriveled up and uh, shrinking in the corner of the coffee table somewhere. Right? This is, this is kind of how mercy had become in Jesus' day. And so he comes along, and I guess like that official who felt those balls and said, no, 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 this, this won't do, this ain't right, we've got to air that up. And that's what Jesus begins to do with mercy. <laughs> mercy. Uh, loving those who don't deserve it. Showing generosity and forgiving others. Mercy was foundational to Jesus' life and mission. You see it right here, in fact, in the giving of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching a large crowd, many of whom would have been people that the religious elite looked down their noses at because they were sick or sinful or they were inferior in some way. Well, Jesus welcomed them. Not only that, Jesus healed them. He didn't stop there. Jesus invited them to follow him. Mercy. Mercy was fundamental to who Jesus was. To what Jesus taught, he just kept pumping air into that balloon. In fact, it became a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. Always showing mercy. And in fact, it was one of the most scandalous parts of Jesus' life. How much he would show mercy and the extent to which he would go to show mercy. Uh, so much so that... It's just that it was so it was so uncommon the way Jesus did it that he would show mercy so much people didn't really know what to do with it. it just kept going. Some leaders push the envelope when it comes to things like self-expression or entertainment or maybe policy. Jesus just kept stretching the limits of mercy beyond what anyone thought was possible. Beyond how far you think this balloon can blow. Always found stretching the limits of mercy. That's who Jesus was. You know that story about the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray? Everyone knows how that story is supposed to end. Until Jesus says, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, went home justified before God. You know, uh, Jesus wants you to know that contrary to popular belief, God's mercy is for those who are ready to receive it. That, that woman who was at Jesus' feet at the dinner party, Jesus could read the room. He knew what the host was thinking. And so he leaned over to him at one point and he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. What's that? He said, uh, two people owed money to a lender. One owed him 500 pieces of silver and the other one 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both of them. 
Now which one will love him more? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose so, Jesus said. And then he said, do you see this woman? I mean, I came into your house, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and then wiped them off with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as, is, as her, her great love has shown. But I tell you, the one has, that has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And everyone in the room says, how could he dare forgive her sin? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. (laughs) Which makes you wonder, have you been forgiven little or a lot? Do you love little or big? I mean, all of us probably came in the room today with some uh, sense of how much, you know, that we needed to be forgiven for. We have some sense for how much mercy we need. And I guess that's worth thinking about because Jesus seems to be suggesting that that's related to how much mercy we're ready to give. God's mercy to us, our mercy to others, it's all wrapped up together. The blessing in giving mercy is receiving mercy. So I guess we better figure out if we want that blessing or if we'd rather live our lives proving how little we need it. One thing Jesus wants to make sure we figure out is that God is ready to give mercy. And He has plenty of it to give. God's mercy is big. It's way bigger than what anyone expected. Jesus airs it out beyond what anyone could have believed. No longer is mercy, uh, forgiveness, benevolence, generosity, everything that is foundational to God's nature, no longer is that going to sit in a corner somewhere, shriveled up like an old party favor. No, no, no. Jesus says you need to know this is who God is. (gasps) Pay no attention to the Pharisees and and the self-righteous Christians who operate on the belief that God has about this much mercy to give, and so they spend their whole lives convincing themselves and others that that's all they need. And who, because that's all they have to give, can only look down their noses at those who obviously need this much. It's because of all that that some of us came in here today knowing that we need to be forgiven for a lot, afraid that God might only have this much forgiveness to give. But to you and to anyone else who is willing to be honest with themselves, Jesus wants you to know even you can go home justified before God. God's mercy is big. The Bible would say it to you like this at one point, I pray that you would have the power together with all of God's people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You have to know that. For that's what lays the foundation of Jesus' blessing and Jesus' promise in the Beatitudes. You will be shown mercy. 
God is ready to give undeserved love and forgiveness. And He has plenty of it to give. You know, we can spend our whole lives uh, proving that we don't need the mercy that God wants to give us and withholding it from others. Or, in light of what we've received, we can be merciful. Now the question still remains, though, well, how, how merciful? Like, how far should mercy stretch in our case? I mean, this is the real challenge, after all, isn't it? Actually applying mercy. We probably all have ideas about um, how far forgiveness should extend and how much we should give the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, when it comes to second and third chances and those kinds of things, we have an idea of when that's appropriate. And Jesus does too. Uh, a little bit later in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, um, he does a section of teaching where he does it in a way, uh, he says, now you've heard that it was said this way, but I'm telling you it ain't that way. Instead, it's this way. And so he's overturning a lot of the, the morals that everyone would have come to understand as normal and appropriate when it comes to things like anger and worship and lust and adultery and swearing oaths and divorce and so forth. And then mercy. And well, if Jesus can teach that way, well then, then so can we. So you may have heard that it was said, you can't have fun in church. Right? Like you can't throw things around the sanctuary in church. But I'm telling you, take this balloon... And hit it around amongst yourselves. Now, not really high up in the light, so it pops. <laughs> but just hit it around. When it comes to you, pass it to someone else. Don't let it stop. Just let it go around. And while that's happening, listen to, listen to what Jesus is saying. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Tit for tat. Revenge, right? That makes sense. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Give them your coat too. If anyone forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two miles. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's mercy extends to both righteous and unrighteous. And therefore, so should yours, Jesus says. In Luke's recording of Jesus' speech right here, he finishes this section by saying, Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. And I mean, let's be honest, that sounds crazy. Turn the other cheek. Don't sweat it when people take things from you. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, how, how much of this could a person really do? How long could we be expected to actually keep up that kind of thing? Jesus, always stretching the limits of mercy in his teaching and in the way that he interacted with other people. And he seems to expect the same from us. So finally, one time Peter asked him what we're all wondering, uh, trying to figure out how would we keep pace with what Jesus is teaching. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone when they sin against me? Up like seven times? And Jesus is like, seven? Seventy times seven. You're like, what? Gee, that, that's crazy. You've got to be kidding me. And Jesus just says, well, if you're not going to forgive like that, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like someone grabbed the balloon there. Grab it and hold on to it when it comes to you. 
Go ahead. Hold on to it. Stand up if you would. You're the winner. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Okay. Now everybody's looking at you like, what's up? We were playing with that. We were having a good time with that thing. The point, of course, was to pass it around the room and to share it with everyone. And there you are just holding it. It's not yours. You, you didn't make it. You don't deserve it. It just came to you with the intent that you would share it with others. And there you are just holding it. What's up? Mercy, grace, forgiveness, inflated 70 times 7 has been given to you, which is exactly what God has done for each one of us. And are we just going to hold on to it and refuse to share? That would be just like the story that Jesus told to Peter. You can send the balloon back up here. Go ahead, you can hit it back up here. Make it make its way back up. Thank you for... Um, Enduring my ridicule. Where'd it go? I can't even see it. Have mercy. Uh, Hey, Phil, will you bring my other balloon out? Thank you. Just keep that right there. I'm not going to let you touch it. <laughs> so anyway, sorry to ridicule you. I can't really see you. I'm sorry. that was. But the, using the metaphor to try to make the same point that Jesus is making in the story that he tells to Peter right after the 70 times 7 thing. This is what he says. He, he told about a king who was trying to settle his accounts. Okay, people owed him money. It's time to, time to pay up. And he had this servant who owed him millions of dollars, right? This guy came before the king. No way he's going to be able to pay it back. And so the king orders that he be sold and his whole family, everything he owned to account for the debt. Well, the servant throws himself down, begs for mercy. Please be patient with me. I promise I'll pay it all back. I'll pay it all back. Now, amazingly, the king has compassion on him and doesn't just delay the repayment of the debt. He just forgives it, cancels the whole thing. Well, then the guy goes from his, uh, the king's presence and he encounters a friend of his who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he grabs him by the throat and demands to be paid. And the, the guy begs for mercy. Please be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay it all back. But the servant has him thrown in jail until he can pay it back. A word about this gets back to the king. And this is how it goes down. Then the king called the man that he'd forgiven back in and said, What's up? You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse your brothers, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Serious business. God's mercy to us, our mercy toward others. It's all wrapped up together. The the mercy of God for you cannot be fully experienced if you refuse to allow that mercy to flow through you to others. The mercy of God for you cannot be experienced if you do not allow that mercy to flow through you to others. You know, this, you hear the story, and it ends kind of frighteningly. I mean, I like to think about God's mercy. It's a little more startling to think about God's justice. 
But God is both. Mercy and, and justice, they always go hand in hand with God. And really they have to. We want them to. You know, someone who shows mercy in just an I'm okay, you're okay kind of way, glossing over real issues, it's like a doctor who you go see him, you feel like something's wrong, and they're like, ah, you'll be fine. That lump's nothing to worry about. We don't want, we don't want a doctor like that. We want a doctor who understands when things are wrong, who has an idea of rightness. And at the same time, we would be very uncomfortable standing before a judge who knows nothing of mercy and compassion. We need a God who is both of those things. In fact, it's only by trusting that God is just that we can turn the other cheek and have mercy on those who persecute us because we know that they are in the hands of a just God. We know that with God is justice. Justice and mercy. God is all of those things, all of that together. And just like in this story, he offers mercy. Big, balloonful, beyond what anyone could imagine, forgive a million dollar debt kind of mercy. And he invites us to live in a world where that's the rule. Mercy governs. Forgiveness prevails. Love abounds. Benefit of the doubt is extended. Grace is elastic. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But, if we don't want to live in that world, then God says, okay, we'll play by your rules. If you'd rather be stingy and doling out mercy, then I can do that. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you want to play tit for tat, then I will hold you accountable for everything that you owe me. In which case, blessed are the ones who can prove that they don't need mercy because the rest of us who do are host. So what do you want the rule to be? Whichever you choose, that's the one that you have to live by. What do you want the rule to be when you cheat? When you lie? When you're a bigot, would you make the same mistake over and over again? When you're in debt, oh, you can go the route of convincing yourself it's not that bad when you do it, or you don't do it as often as other people, or you can demonstrate how the severity of your sin doesn't match up to that of others, but when you take so much pride in all of that, it's hard to live by the rule of of mercy. It's hard to experience the blessing and the promise that Jesus is making. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, it's amazing when mercy shows up in those hard places. You watch the news these days, and it's, it's hard not to be jaded about the whole world, really. It's hard not to have just your blood boiling with vengeance when you hear another story of prejudice and hate. And then, as you may have witnessed in the last few days, you watch that scene in the courtroom when Dylan Roof, standing before a camera, facing the families of the nine people that he murdered in a South Carolina church, where they expressed to him not only their deep sadness, but also their forgiveness and desire for God to have mercy on him. 
about this, John Dickerson wrote in the USA Today, it was neither expected nor explicable, that forgiveness. Such forgiveness is unseen in the animal world. It's illogical in the rational world. It's nonsensical to common human nature. Such forgiveness is humanity at its most human, or perhaps its most divine. Only God's mercy makes that possible. Only God's love could compel people to take Jesus at His word when He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. In 2006, Amish families near Lancaster, PA, also decided to live by the rule of mercy when ten young girls were shot in a schoolhouse. In a similar way, they stunned the nation by their kind and forgiving words in the wake of hatred and violence. They shocked the parents of the gunman who had also killed himself when they showed up at his funeral in support of the parents. Inspired by their act of forgiveness, the mother of the gunman now helps care regularly for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting. It's amazing how when the blood is boiling and the fires of vengeance are ready to be stoked, mercy can open the door into a new way to live. A way of freedom. And a way of trust. A way that's not chained to to bitterness and grudges and retaliation. A way of trusting a God who is just and merciful. A God who says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And who says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Justice is mine. What's ours is to show mercy. Entrusting ourselves and others into God's hands. And as we close, let's think practically about what it means to do that, to show mercy. Well, first, mercy is not a feeling, it's an action. Forgiveness is something that can be given in spite of your feeling like you don't want to. It's not a denial of emotions, it's not dodging reality. It's a commitment that you make knowing that you will battle feelings of bitterness and grief. The commitment to forgive says, I will not be ruled by those feelings. That's the commitment that the families in Charleston have made. They acknowledge their feelings. They're deep and they're they're real and they hurt and they will continue to ebb and flow in their intensity and they will resurface 70 times 7 times. Yet they have made the difficult commitment to mercy. Second, mercy does not disregard consequences or accountability. Forgiving someone who has not lived up to their calling in a relationship, whether that's a call to vows that were made or an informal pledge of friendship, uh, that doesn't dismiss the calling. doesn't mean that it goes away. Mercy does not throw out expectations. It means loving even when expectations are not met. And when they're not met, when vows are not upheld and promises are broken and boundaries are crossed in a relationship, one consequence is often to draw new boundaries. Now, some boundaries should be drawn quickly and severely, perhaps even with the help of law enforcement or other specialized agency, like in the case of abuse. It is loving to draw boundaries that help prevent further damage. When trust is broken repeatedly in a relationship, 
making the commitment to mercy means that the relationship will be maintained. But, consequently, it may need to be maintained according to new boundaries to prevent further havoc being wreaked in your life or that of the other person because of their failure. A spouse may need to move out for a time. A child loses their privileges. An adult child is asked to leave. A friend needs to go to treatment. Access to accounts is limited. New levels of disclosure are established. The the relationship is maintained because of the commitment to forgive 70 times 7, but it exists within different boundaries for a time. That's a merciful thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Because we envision that relationship running wide and free, and it can't right now. Blessed are those who have endured through relationships that do not go as planned, that have more distance and less trust than what was hoped for. For God will endure with you. And finally, uh, the next time you're wronged, you know, maybe, maybe you're someone who never cuts anyone a break. You, someone wrongs you, you're never going to let them hear the end of it. But the next time that you're wronged, before you respond, or at least in the aftermath of your response, would you reflect and meditate on the love God has for you, on the breaks that he's cut you, on how much you've been forgiven, on how much you're in need of God's mercy. I don't know how to even begin to forgive without that sinking deeply into my being. We're all in need of God's mercy. Only some of us seem to be aware of that. But regardless, God has in crazy doses given His mercy to you. How or to whom does He want to show His mercy through you. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the truth that we've encountered in your word today about your love, your grace, the mercy that you give to us that, no, we don't deserve it. But yet here we are. Help us to to say thank you for that to rejoice in the forgiveness and the grace that you have shown us. It is truly amazing. Let that meditation and reflection of knowing how much we're loved and how much uh, you have graced us with your presence and your goodness, let that lead us to, to do likewise, to be merciful just as you are merciful. God, we entrust ourselves to your hands today. We thank you for your justice. We thank you for your mercy to us, to this world that you love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.